Welcome to the Eat This, Not That podcast. I'm John Hammond. I am once again joined by Megan Murphy. So great to be back. Thank you. Great having you back. And this episode is all about genius foods, and it's brought to you by Bob's Red Mill. Actually, I can't wait to tell you about the genius moment I had cooking up a batch of Bob's Red Mill quinoa this weekend. That's coming up later on. Now, when most of us stock up our shopping carts or order from a menu, we tend to think about how our food choice is going to impact our waistline. One thing we really don't think about is how our food choices affect our brain. And this is something you're really going to want to hear about. For this episode, we're joined by Max Lugaver. He has a new book out called Genius Foods, Become Smarter, Happier, and More Productive While Protecting Your Brain for Life. And we are fortunate to be joined by the new New York Times bestselling author. Uh, Max, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me here. It's good to be here. And congrats on the book. Thank you so much. Great reaction to it. And it's, it's, it's interesting because obviously you can tell that this is a book that was spurred by a point of passion, as most good books really are. That's the, the ones that really resonate with people. And you've got a really uh, compelling backstory as to what led you to, to Genius Foods, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, um, you know, I didn't come at it with, you know, from having a medical practice or anything like that. I was just a civilian that happened to have a, a background in media and journalism. And, um, a couple of years ago, my mom started to show her very first symptoms of uh, some kind of weird form of dementia. And uh, I became basically obsessed with learning everything I possibly could about how diet and lifestyle affect brain health and brain function. Um, I used my calling card as a journalist, honed over six years working in L.A. for uh, former U.S. Vice President Al Gore. I used to work for him. for He had a TV network called Current. Current yep. And I was one of the main sort of hosts of the network. And then... You know, when my mom got sick, uh, I'm the oldest child in the family, so I became basically uh, fixated on on learning everything I could about it. I became unable to focus on my career at the time. I was being sort of funneled into, um, I guess, the sort of role of a TV host mm-hmm. coming coming out of current, you know, and, and really getting to tell really important stories that I felt were making the world a better place. When I left that, I realized what a unique job it was, and I found it actually kind of difficult to... Um, transition into a into a career and that coincided with the fact that you know my mom was getting sick and I just became it was a pretty dark period in my life where I didn't know where I was going to go professionally Um, my mom was sick and I felt basically enveloped by helplessness and hopelessness and ignorance about uh, the brain and neurodegenerative diseases and simultaneously with that um, I realized that I had a newly discovered risk factor for developing a neurodegenerative disease, the fact that my mom has one. Mm -hmm. And I stumbled upon the shocking discovery that um, oftentimes changes begin in the brain decades before the first symptom of memory loss. And so I just became, you know, it was like a line in the sand. It was a, a, I guess you could call it a singularity in my own life where I, I decided to go all in on learning everything I could and then ultimately disseminating my my findings. Yeah, and I think that's something that, you know, it's something you just said, you know, I, I came to this realization also um, very recently when I was doing some research on, on Alzheimer's and, and dementia and, you know, the risk factor that you have and and so many people think of it and, and they, either, they either don't want to know or when they find out they think there's nothing they can do about it. And I think what's, what's really critical here and what I'm really looking forward to get into is that, you know, the decision 
decisions that you make and the lifestyle choices that you make now can have an extraordinary impact at not preventing it per, per se, but you can significantly delay the onset of something like that by decades yeah. through your lifestyle choices. Look, 90% of what we know about Alzheimer's disease has been discovered only in the past 15 years, even though it was first named in 1906. We've, you know, there's so many unknowns. We're just at the very tip of the iceberg in terms of understanding the human brain, let alone how to, you know, help it thrive in the modern food environment. But that being said, you know, we're now at a point where you're right, like the field is starting to use terms like prevention. And it's mm -hmm. a, it's kind of a discussion of semantics, whether or not you can fully prevent in the entire uh, population that will ultimately develop Alzheimer's disease or if you're just delaying it. Um, but I think that uh, you can use prevention when it comes to neurodegenerative diseases with the same way that you can use prevention when it comes to you know preventing a heart attack. I mean, you can't mm -hmm. prevent with 100% certainty a heart attack. I mean, there could be some genetic fluke, some physiological defect, you know, some anatomical defect that has yet to be uh, discovered in you that might, you know, you could get to be working out every day, eating a health, heart healthy diet and still develop a heart attack. So, right. um, I'm not trying to spread false hope, but I, what I am saying with my work is that, um, look, whether or not you can potentially prevent it or delay it, I mean, even if you delay it by a couple of years, it's still meaningful, you know, meaningful, meaningful. Absolutely. life that you can, that you can live. Yeah. You know, it's, it, you think about, you know, the choices that you make now are going to impact how you live and how you think and feel 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, whether it's tied to, you know, a, a disease, a neurodegenerative disease like that, or whether it's just your overall health and well-being and how you're able to move and, and kind of live your life the way you want to, right? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I mean, I, and I talk about this in, in Genius Foods, is that the same things that you can do that are going to sort of be your insurance policy decades from now also make your brain work better in the here and now. Yeah. I mean, so it improve, by investing in your future selves, you improve your quality of life today. And uh, the brain is really the battery that makes everything that we love possible. I mean, the, through the brain, we experience the world. You know, we fall in love, we experience anxiety, we um, feel melancholy, we experience awe and wonder. And so I think anything that we can do to maximize the functioning of the human brain, um, we ought to do. And so in my book, it's really what I present is a plan to help, you know, press the press the reset button, return your brain to what I call its factory settings. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, and we were talking about this before because uh, Megan had, had asked about the timing, right? Like, is it possible to, to really have an impact? Yeah. In... So your book features a plan that's just two weeks. Yeah. Um, of the foods that you should be eating. And so in such a short time, what's the impact that you can have on the brain? Yeah, you can have a pretty big, big impact. I mean, in two weeks, basically what the plan is, it's to uh, essentially go through your kitchen and throw out all the foods that we know are toxic to the brain and restock it with foods that we know provide the nutrients that are not only important in helping the brain produce energy, which is really important for the brain. It's the most energy hungry uh, organ in the body. But um, also help it basically mop up from the damage incurred and clean up from the damage incurred uh, just due to everyday living. Mm -hmm. The brain is a crucible for what's called oxidative stress. And this mm -hmm. is, you know, oxidation occurs to every living thing, every structure. You slice an apple, you leave it out on the counter, it turns brown, that's oxidation at work. Well, one of what's the chief uh, catalyst for oxidation? Oxygen. And 25% of every breath you take, one one out of every four breaths you take, is going to create energy in 
your brain, which is, again, the most metabolically hungry organ in the body, literally squeezed into the a container the size of a grapefruit. So therefore, it's like, you know, all this oxygen being used to create energy in the brain. Um, and at the same time, the brain is composed of fats that are highly vulnerable, in particular to oxidation, polyunsaturated fats, like the omega-3s and the omega-6s that I'm sure you guys talk ab mm -hmm. about a lot on the podcast. I mean, your brain is made of those fats, which are already delicate enough. And then you've got um, all this oxygen there, you know, all this energy production, all these free radicals. So it's about the two-week plan is really about, um, but you know, putting the foods back in your kitchen that are going to provide your brain with the proper ingredients so that you can help fend off from undue oxidative stress, which the modern world seems to tilt the scales way far in favor of oxidative load, which seems to be, you know, one of the key factors when it comes to Alzheimer's disease and other neurodegenerative diseases, but can also exacerbate other neurological conditions. So yeah, so I think the brain is highly plastic and responsive to the inputs that we give it. It's just about giving it the right inputs. And what about the other things? Like there's obviously there's when you mentioned it, you know, just a, just a moment ago, the other stress factors that have an impact here, right? It's it's work stress, life stress. Yeah. You know, I commute, you know, 90 minutes a day. I mean, the stress there, you know, 90 minutes in, 90 minutes out, you know, that kind of stress, traffic, those kinds of things. All these things, the air that we breathe, if it's polluted, there's, you know, I saw a report recently that talked about noise and just like, you know, how noisy it is in, in like urban areas and the impact that that has on our health. Those kinds of things totally. all have an impact on our health. So, you know, eating, eating, you know, according to your plan, which we'll get into to some of the foods, of course, but is it really, it's not just about trying to push off, you know, the onset of some of these concerns, but it's about, you know, insulating the brain, yeah. buffering it from the impact, because you're not going to remove noise, you're not going to remove work right. stress, you're not going to remove, remove a long commute, like those things are going to happen. So it's, it's about making the brain and, and your, your neural system, right, your, your central nervous system more resilient to exactly. those things. Yeah, well said. It's um, totally, I mean, you know, the, we're not frolicking in the forest, picking berries, you know, these right. days. We're, we're, well, I mean, over the weekend, maybe. I mean, over the weekend, maybe, yeah. <laughs> but I think for the most part, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, it's 2018. There are modern stresses. Unfortunately, our bodies respond to modern stress the same way that they responded, you know, thousands of years ago when we were fleeing from a predator. So, um, you know, stress, stressful stimuli back in the day, uh, evolutionarily speaking, was uh, was something that could potentially kill us. Right. And so we have these hardwired response mechanisms built into us that um, respond accordingly. And yet today, very few stressful stimuli are, have the potential of causing us physical harm. And we respond the same way. So, you know, when you're hearing a loud noise, like a train screeching into the station, I mean, that basically kicks on your body's stress response. That That's basically preparing you for an impending blood loss. Right. It's, you know, focusing your eyes so that you can run away from the predator, um, slowing digestion, things like that. I mean, in an acute setting, it, it actually has been shown to cause uh, a blanching of the GI tract. Basically, blood leaves the GI tract, and over time, that can cause increased intestinal permeability. Um, in an acute setting, that's not a big deal. Right, you know? but over time. Yeah, in fact, in an acute setting, that might actually help, you know, as you mentioned, build resilience. Um, but chronically, it's uh, definitely a recipe for disaster. I mean, stress is a chronic stress is an indiscriminate killer. Right. So in the in the book, I talk about 
the difference, you know, it's really important to recognize the difference between chronic stress and acute stress. So, I mean, you know, one of the reasons why exercise is so good for us and sitting in a sauna, for example, is really good for us taking a cold shower. Um, it's that these things are actually stressful. Um, but in the acute setting, again, it's like that, it, that's actually quite beneficial, right. but chronically it becomes damaging and chronic stress is more like, you know, being stuck in a sour relationship that you can't get out of or wor working under a boss that you hate. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that becomes really important. We don't want to live stress-free existences. That's right. not the goal. Right. It's to really be mindful of where the chronic psychological stress is and being able to sort of, you know, pull that out by its roots. Right. And now one of the things I want to get to is, is uh, brain fog. Um, definitely. But first, I want to tell you about a brand new tasty super coffee drink that I have a feeling you're going to love. It's called Four Sigmatic Mushroom Coffee. I actually started uh, dabbling with Four Sigmatic uh, products uh, almost a year ago. It was, it was late summer heading into the, the fall winter. I was worried about my immunity and looking for any edge I could get. So I started drinking the, the Chaga Mushroom Elixir about two times a day. And I've actually expanded now. I drink the Cordyceps or the coffee with lion's mane uh, in the morning. I use both of these to kind of uh, tune in my alertness for the for the day. And I also turn to the reishi and still the, the chaga later in the afternoon and the evening because these help me wind down, provide an immunity boost, and it's, they're also just good like stress relief at the end of the day. And what I really like about these is I started to introduce them also uh, to cut back on caffeine on some of the coffee I was drinking. and. What I love about them is that they're less acidic than normal coffee, so there's no stomach burning, and they're made with extremely high-quality products. It's, it's, there's no pesticides, so you don't get the jitters, that caffeine, but you get that great pick-me-up, that alertness that caffeine can kind of provide. Um, and, and they do have caffeine-free drinks as well, but most importantly, they're loaded with powerful antioxidants and immune-boosting properties. Now, I know this probably sounds too good to be true, well, this is going to get even better because right now, when you head to foursigmatic.com slash eat this, you'll get 15% off your entire order. That's 15% off any order placed on Four Sigmatic's website, but you have to use our special URL, foursigmatic.com slash eat this. That's spelled F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash eat this. Hi, this is Jim Miller. Available now, Origins, Chapter 5, Sex in the City, Present at Creation. Featuring Sarah Jessica Parker, Kristen Davis, Cynthia Nixon, Chris Noth, and others from the seminal series, now marking its 20th anniversary. The first day of production of the series, I walked a couple blocks to the set, and I never looked back. We're going to throw a spotlight on the show's earliest days in an effort to understand how it all got started and some of the craziness from there. Sometimes women are having sex that's really horrible and that they don't even want to be having. You know, it was a shock to the system and a lot of the critics were just like, what the heck is this? I mean, the whole Mr. Big thing has got real leg to it, <laughs> for better or worse. Join us for Origins Deep Dive into Sex in the City, the story behind the show that revolutionized the adult sitcom and reimagined the eternal search for lust and, of course, love. They were like, let's just make a show. If we all are happy, we'll do more. Get it now on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or wherever you get your shows. Okay, so back to brain fog. Yeah, yeah. I tend to associate brain fog with a bad night's sleep, which unfortunately is all too common in my life. How do the foods we eat cause this so-called brain fog? Yeah, I mean, for many, it, it depends person to person. And, and brain fog is not a medical condition. You know, it could be due to, uh, you know, as you mentioned, poor sleep. But I mm -hmm. think for many people, um, you know, your average person is walking around eating about 300 grams of carbohydrates every single day. In fact, 
most of the time, these carbs come from three plants, wheat, corn, and rice, which now make up the majority of the calories that mm -hmm. we consume. And the problem is that blood sugar deluge causes our pancreases to respond by squirting out insulin. And insulin is sort of like the body's cleanup tool when we when we funnel all that sugar into our blood. I mean, if you consider the fact that at any given moment, you've got about one teaspoon of sugar circulating throughout your entire blood volume. I mean, consider then what you're doing to your system when you drink a glass of orange juice that has six teaspoons of pure sugar yeah. in it. So your pancreas has to play cleanup. The problem is your pancreas is not an instrument of precision. It's more like a blunt tool. <laughs> because, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, insulin was stimulated... You know, when food was abundant, probably when it was summertime and fruit was available. So your pancreas really, the, the main goal of the pancreas is to store those calories so that you could potentially survive uh, food scarcity, the next period of food scarcity. What the pancreas is not meant to do from an evolutionary standpoint is to clean out what I call the garbage of modern garbage. life. Yeah. <laughs> and so often what happens is it'll over-respond. It'll secrete more insulin than needed because it's not, again, it's not an instrument of precision. So what that does is it sends your blood sugar down uh, below baseline. So that's very uncomfortable for most people. They experience um, shakes, right? shakes yeah. hunger, uh, irritability. And so... Been there. Yeah, and so that is what... Hangeriness. That's right. Yes. Yeah, been there recently. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's what like... And here's the catch-22 is that that's what brain fog is for most people. I experienced this myself personally before I changed my diet. And then the problem is what we do is we often treat that brain fog or that hunger with more carbs to basically fix the blood sugar dip, balance, right? right? So then we yeah. eat the granola bar or we have the dried fruit or whatever it is that we you know can reach for that's carby. And that basically treats the withdrawal that we feel. And so in a way, it tricks us into thinking that carbs are our friends, right? It tricks us into thinking that that our brains need glucose, right? But actually what we're doing is we're treating the withdrawal. Um, so what I recommend for people is to basically adopt a lower carb diet um, so that your blood sugar becomes less like a roller coaster, and is, roller coaster and is more stable throughout the day. And then you'll know what it's like to have true energy, you know, sustainable energy in a way that, you know, one minute it's not brain fog and then clarity. You're going to have just clarity all the time. What about alcohol? Yeah, alcohol is... Because um, like, I noticed that when if I, if I have, you know, I know what my limit is, let's say. And if I go a little bit past that, just barely past that, like I wake up in the morning and it just, I have that heaviness to my head. It's like, like not a headache, but like that, like a brain fog. Yeah. And last summer... Uh, I started shifting the way that I that I exercise. You know, stopped exercising in the afternoon, started exercising first thing in the morning. And when I made that shift, I realized I couldn't really drink as much the evening before because it was too hard to get out of bed. And what I found is by cutting back on the alcohol I was having the night before, getting up and exercising, I had this like surge of clarity hmm. to start my day. Like the first 90, two, 90 minutes to two hours of my day were just like crazy energy, crazy mental clarity. And I wasn't sure if it was the exercise or if it was like cutting back on the alcohol or probably just both. like yeah. probably both and both yeah. of them giving me a, a better night's sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, alcohol is one of those things where look, I mean, ethanol, which is what gives you the buzz is toxic. It's a neurotoxin. But on the other hand, um, it's alcohol is a very powerful social lubricant and de-stressor. So, right. um, loneliness, I would say is also a toxin. So if alcohol is what you know, you're using to help you connect with, you know, your friends or, 
uh, you know, be more successful in the dating world. Um, (laughs) you know, I think it's, I think it's always better to try just as a test to yourself, to challenge yourself, to, to be able to do these sorts of things and to de-stress without alcohol. I think that's very important. Um, but you know, it's, it's benefits are non-trivial. And so if you're, if you're drinking moderately, which is one drink a night per, you know, for a female, one to two for men, um, you know, the, from an observational perspective at the population level, it seems to be beneficial. Right. Um, but if you are not a drinker, um, I would not say go out and start drinking. If right. you're, if you're like the health benefits get a little blown out of proportion, right? Like you see yeah. it every yeah. other okay, week, red right? Wine. Red wine. It's so good for yeah. You. It's great yeah. For you. I mean, cause again, we don't, we don't live stress-free existences anymore. Right. So, I mean, you do need to find a way to deal with, with your stress. I recommend, you know, finding a hobby or, um, you know, meditation I think is great. Um, but you know, I mean, having a drink, you know, when you get home from work is not, is not going to be the end of the world. Um, there are healthy ways to imbibe. I mean, you can follow the one for one rule. So between every drink, have a glass of water. Um, and you also want to try to sober up before you go to sleep. So, I mean, if you go out and you're drinking and and having a good time, that's fine. Just try to make sure that you go to sleep sober so that the alcohol doesn't interfere with your sleep. That's when most people reach for the carbs, though, the bad carbs, like a piece of pizza, sober up after drinking. A 2 a.m. slice? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And then what about coffee? So I'm a I'm a fan of coffee. Right. Um, I think the the weight of the evidence seems to be in favor of coffee. Um, there's you know a number of very beneficial compounds in coffee. It's America's number one source of polyphenols, mm-hmm. which uh, I don't know. You know that's definitely great about coffee. I don't know if it says such great things about America that we're getting our you know right. most of our polyphenols from coffee. Right. Yeah. But. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's also an underappreciated source of soluble fiber, which is really important for your microbiota, the, you know, the collection of 30 trillion microorganisms that live in your large intestine. There's a compound in it called chlorogenic acid, which is anti-inflammatory. The problem is everybody's different. So if you're dealing with adrenal problems and you are drinking too much coffee, it can increase cortisol. It can, right. you know, it can, it can stress you out. Um, but I think for most people, um, you know, it seems to be uh, beneficial when looking at the population. And that's why I've actually stopped drinking coffee first thing in the morning. Like, you know, most of us, you, you get up and you just, that you have to have that cup of coffee. You go, that's one of the first things that you go through. Yeah. So when I get up in the morning, I usually drink a glass of water first. Uh, I keep one by the, by the bed just because I'm thirsty and, and just kind of get that, get that going. Um, but I've actually started to, to move coffee back until after I've eaten breakfast or af- after I've exercised because of the, because of the cortisol. And I didn't realize this. I didn't realize that the, it was, it was kind of this cortisol cortisol trigger and cortisol is a stress hormone obviously yeah. and when you wake up first thing it's re- it's really high exactly yeah um already like without the coffee your cortisol is high when you wake up yeah it's just part of your body's natural circadian rhythm is that you know cortisol is often considered the stress hormone but it's really the body's waking hormone i mean in the natural circadian balance you know if you're not chronically stressed out you've got this nice cortisol spike early in the morning and cortisol is your body's chief catabolic hormone which means that it's helping to liberate stored fats sugars and things like that right. um you know it releases glycogen from the liver uh this is why chronically elevated cortisol actually can raise your blood sugar but that cortisol spike in the morning what it's trying to do is liberate these stored fuels so you can get up you know have energy to basically carpe diem seize the day right but in that in that early morning environment, yeah, that's why I don't think it's ideal to drink coffee as soon as you wake up. I think it's good to sort of push it. That cortisol spike only lasts for about forty five minutes uh, after you wake up. So I mean, I try to drink my first cup of Joe, you know, maybe an hour after oh, I wake okay. up. Yeah. 
I, I, you know, if I could share, I mentioned my genius moment uh, over the weekend earlier at the top of the episode, and uh, you know, it's it's thanks to to uh, our, our sponsor Bob's Red Mill. Actually, um, I was cooking up a batch of Bob's Red Mill uh, quinoa this weekend. I usually do it every weekend. I keep it aside for salads and put it in my oatmeal for overnight oats, stuff like that. And quinoa has been one of those things that has vexed me for, since I started making it, right? I try to toast the quinoa before putting the water in and then, you know, keep the lid tight and it's a matter of timing. And I kept burning and burning and burning, like the bottom of the pot would just like have to get scrubbed out. I, I, would, I would waste so much. And this weekend, for whatever reason, maybe I was inspired by, by going through Genius Foods and, and thinking more. Um, <laughs> but no brain, uh, fog, I, <laughs> no brain fog. I actually um, read the instructions on the package. And the instruct because I always thought you didn't lift the lid and until it was like done because like that moisture would get out and that would like ruin it. And it very clearly said in in, in on the on the Bob's Red Mill packaging, which has like the most lovely written directions ever, by the way. Um, it, it it you know prompts you to lift and fluff a couple times during the process, and I was like, I never realized that. So I lift and I fluffed. And I had the most perfect batch of quinoa this weekend. I was so excited for it. Like, I, mean, I shouldn't be this excited about quinoa. <laughs> um, it tasted delicious. And it's probably the way quinoa is supposed to be. So thank you, Bob, for, for your lovely directions. Um, and like, like, like the quinoa, every product is of the highest quality uh, at Bob's Red Mill and is minimally processed from their stone mill in Oregon to your table. And for those of you who might be catering to a paleo, gluten-free, or vegan diet, or if you just want the highest quality flours, grains, and meals, period, Bob's Red Mill is your go-to. So visit bobsredmill.com today. So if people are, are you know, wanting wanting to kind of figure out more aside from from getting the book Genius Foods, you know, what's what's the quick hit starter? Like you talked about the carbs, obviously, and all, all the refined carbs. Yeah. There's no secret that those are are kind of a scourge on the, on the American diet right now. Added sugars and those yeah. refined carbohydrates. What's what are like the five critical moves? Like, what are the what are the five things to do? Like, as I listen to this podcast, I turn it off, I share it, I give it a nice rating, and then I go do what? Yeah, yes. All right. So first of all, okay, your re- your listeners are very savvy. So we talked about added sugars and the fact that we're eating too many carbs. Okay. Moving on past that, I think it's really important to go through your kitchen and get rid of all the grain and seed oils, like the canola oil, mm-hmm. corn oil, soybean oil. Most of the times these are hiding in inconspicuous places like bakery products, Mm -hmm. you know, granola bars, um, breads are often made with them. These are toxic. Salad dressings, commercial salad dressings are among the worst offenders. So go through your fridge, you know, get rid of that uh, Italian style dressing, um, you know, ranch, all these you know, dressings are made with very unhealthy oils. Oh, man, I used ranch this ranch. weekend. <laughs> well, no look, there's, there's certain manufacturers that make really right. healthy ranch, um, you know, and we can we can give them a shout-out if you want. But, like, you know, most the, the commercial dressings that are available most of the time in most restaurants are very unhealthy. Um, they've been shown to accelerate Alzheimer's-like pathology in animal models. They promote inflammation. They deplete our body's own um, antioxidant resources that we were talking about earlier about the balance between you know, antioxidant status and you know, a, an oxidative load in the brain, right? These oils basically deplete our body's own ability to clean up against oxidative stress. So So what would you use on a salad then? Like if like you're talking about cleaning out the you know the, the salad dressings and you know eating salad should be a healthy meal choice. Yeah. What do you what do you Well, talking for most with? people it's the healthiest meal of the day and that's why I think it's like you know it would be tragic for people to be sabotaging right, that drowning meal and drowning, drowning it. Right. Yeah, with unhealthy oils. So by by far the number one oil that you should be using is extra virgin olive oil. Um I would say avocado oil gets a close second. 
Um, but definitely number one is extra virgin olive oil. Uh, the difference bet actually between the two, I think, is significant in that, you know, the, the, the fats in avocado oil are healthy. Mm -hmm. But some of the most valuable compounds in extra virgin olive oil actually have nothing to do with the fat, but they're the polyphenols, the phenolic compounds that have been shown to be very anti-inflammatory um, in extra virgin olive oil. So it's a it's really a remarkable. Um, it's actually a fruit juice because it's made right. simply by crushing olives. Right. You know, any of the oils that you find in commercial um, dressings are so processed it's sort of like a nightmare just to even watch how it's made you can go anyone can go onto youtube and look at how canola oil is made it's like a horror movie um, <laughs> i'm not just saying that it's like it's pretty right. crazy um the next thing that i think people should do uh is just you know sort of related uh eat a large salad every single day right. and fill it with dark leafy greens like kale arugula spinach research shows that people who do this have brains that look about 11 years younger Right. Um, on brain scans, yeah. Part of the, I mean, the mechanism there is that uh, it, full of fiber, which helps feed the microbiota, which helps, you know, reduce inflammation in the body. Um, fiber is related to successful aging, um, according to a, a very large study uh, that I cite in the book. Um, and, um, yeah, it provides micronutrients that help the brain um, activate enzymes that are involved in DNA repair and things like that. Um, so definitely large salad every single day. It helps you check off many of your nutritional boxes and it's so easy. Um, the next thing that I would say is to embrace, uh, one of the more controversial tips. I, I tell people to embrace, um, properly raised animal products like right. gra grass fed beef, things like that. Um, super important. Uh, you know, there was a really interesting study performed out of Deakin university in Australia that found that women, it was a study of a thousand women that didn't consume the recommended three to four servings of red meat uh, per week were twice as likely to be diagnosed with major depression depression mm -hmm. or an anxiety disorder. Um, and then at the other end of the spectrum, women who ate much more than that um, were also at increased risk. So it was a dose response, which strengthens the causal link. And there was no relationship between other forms of protein, like pork, dairy, things like that. So um, red meat, you know, I think it's... Uh, a cow is a modern creation, right? It's a domesticated animal, but I think it's the closest that we, um, that most of us can get to the kinds of land animals that we consumed, you know, during the time in which our brains evolved. Yeah. And grass-fed is very important, so I, I make the recommendation that it should only be grass-fed. I don't, I do not endorse industrially farmed. Yeah, I was really curious to see this in in the book, the 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 meat recommendation, and and kind of only because I feel like. You're 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 either a meat camp or not meat camp, and yeah. I feel like the the vegetarian vegan kind of camp. You know, one of the big arguments they have is, and and backed up by by other research um, coming out of like Loma Linda University, one of the blue zones, is that you know a plant based diet, a, a solely plant based diet, is much better for pushing back the onset of some of these neurodegenerative uh, degenerative diseases. Um, and it, so you're saying it's is it is it about striking the right balance? Is it and like you said before, like obviously it's individual, right? Like with intermittent fasting, like you know, it might be eight hours, might be ten hours, depends on on who yeah. you are and your own kind of biome. But you know, there, so there's a place for for meat to be had. Veganism is a carefully considered well, it should be a carefully considered moral choice that we're able to make today. Right. But the brain did not evolve under vegan conditions. So to that claim that meat is inherently unhealthy to the brain. Uh, I quote Carl Sagan when I say extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence and there's no good evidence 
that high quality meat is particularly damaging to the brain. I mean, you know, one especially of the, in limited doses, right? Like you're not talking about eating three square a day. Yeah. Based on meat, like three right. three times three servings a week, yeah. and, and getting those vital uh, micronutrients and the protein, all that stuff yeah. is your body needs it. You need nutrients in plants, and you need nutrients in meat. Right. There's there's no debate that uh, it's about getting both. You know, I think in nutrition, people tend to feel very religious about their um, about their diets, and they also love black and white thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. for most people, it's got to be like binary, you know, all meat or um, or all all vegetables, and that's not, you know, we were foragers for the vast majority of our evolution, the time in which our brains evolved, and you know, that food instability led to the evolution of our brain. So I'm not talking about eating tons and tons of meat. Um, but, um, you know, I think it's about striking a balance. In fact, 10,000 years ago, when we became settlers, we essentially turned our backs on the diet that created the human brain. Our brains shrank, losing the volumetric equivalent of a tennis ball. Our diets became based on the few plants and animal species that we could cultivate. Um, and that paved the way for the fact that today... You know, 60% of the calories that we consume worldwide come from three plants, wheat, corn, and rice. There's 50,000 edible plants around the world. We are eating three of them. And that's why, you know, we've over time lost bone density, tooth decay, nutrient deficiencies became way more prevalent. I mean, you look at America, 90% of people are deficient in at least one essential nutrient, um, vitamin or mineral. So... You go to your average supermarket, this is why so many foods have to be fortified with fake vitamins. You know, wheat products have to be enriched. Our salt has to be iodized. Because we're eating diets that are just completely removed from the diets in which our brains are all that. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. So I'm just about taking an evolutionary uh, perspective. And the notion that meat is, oh my God, it's so unhealthy, it's going to clog our arteries. It's just ridiculous. Right. For lack of of a better term. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Well, thanks, 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 Max. I really appreciate it. Um, now, I really want to thank Max uh, and, and Megan for joining us today and for sharing both your personal story, of course, Max, as well as all the great insights that are straight from your book, Genius Foods. It's available now. It is a New York Times bestseller, and you should go out and get it wherever books are sold. And you should also check out Max's Kickstarter for his documentary, Breadhead. You know, you mentioned all the carbs and, and the, garbage, the garbage, as you called yeah. it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you can check that out at, at breadheadmovie.com. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. Hopefully you like it enough to leave us a rating and to share it with some of your friends so that they can you know, get a healthy dose of some of the best ways to navigate the hundreds of food decisions we make each and every day. Also, be sure to visit our website. It's eatthis.com. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at eatthisnotthat. And now you can even subscribe to our new Eat This Not That magazine. Just go to the subscribe button on our homepage to find out more. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again for a steady stream of fun, informative, and mind-blowing food knowledge from me, John Hammond, Megan Murphy, and a bunch of experts and guests like Max that will help you eat this, not that. <laughs>